0: Well, good morning. Greetings, warmest greetings to all of you from Colorado Springs. Grace Bible Church sends our greeting to you. It uh, wasn't very long ago, we had three services in one facility, and let me tell you, man, that's a, it's a bit of a challenge, and so I, pray, I hope that you'll be in prayer for Pastor Van and for everyone who's going to be ministering, including all the musicians. Speaking of the musicians, what a great, great blessing this morning. I've enjoyed all of the instruments, the choir, and then the special song as well. One of my favorite songs in all the world is that he is more wonderful to me And what an amazing thing that the Father would come and dwell in the heart of a man. And that is something that makes the Lord so wonderful to us, that's for sure. Well, anyway, Grace Bible Church is now in one service where they're all gathered together right now at the same time that we're meeting and they're worshiping and they send their greetings to you. I'm so grateful that I can be with you and establish a new friendship, a recognition that says when you feel most alone and you're wondering, man, is there anyone else that's trying to love the Lord and just follow the word? And is there anyone else that's not going to give themselves to all sorts of different entertainment? Instead, we just want to come and worship God for us to recognize there are other friends and there are other churches that are just like like us. And Grace Bible Church is a a partner with you and a friend of you and so they they love you and they send the greetings and I'm so glad I could be with you. I'm also grateful to establish friendship with so many of the men that are here. Dan is right here on the front row and Dan, man, he beat us in ping pong, he beat us in basketball, pretty much beat us in everything. And uh, since you beat me in everything all weekend, I should just have you preach because I'm guessing you can beat me in preaching too. (laughs) But Dan was a great friend, and so many of the men that we've enjoyed, we're grateful for all of the friendship that is there. I want to greet you from my family. I do have five children, um, four of whom are in college, and you would think that college could be expensive, except that you heard I have three boys that are all taller than me, and, uh, and so it's cheaper to send them to college than to buy their milk, I'll tell you that. <laughs> And now that I have uh, four, three that are graduating this year from South, in South Carolina, we're grateful that uh, just God keeps changing and transforming things. Speaking of which, as I have a young you know, a family that's getting ready to have young adults in it who are going to be parents, can I just tell you how encouraging it is to look around and see so many young families that have the children that are here? And uh, man, what a joy to have uh, senior saints that are providing leadership in this church, but young families that really love the Lord and children that are gathered together and worship. You have something unique and special that's going on here and you can praise the Lord for it, but continue to give yourself to it. The men that I've met this weekend are men who just refresh me because from all different age groups, they're men who love God, they're providing leadership for their home, leadership for this community, leadership for this church. And so anyway, the Lord's doing great things here and I hope that you realize what a special opportunity, a special thing that you have right here at Fellowship Bible Church. Pastor Van has become a dear, dear friend. Thank you for your hospitality and showing me the area, the historic sites, and all the beauty of the area. It's been a special treat. I, I do apologize to all of you that I brought snow from Colorado. That really wasn't my plan. I was looking forward to being here and enjoying the sunshine and the beauty, but all that snow definitely tagged along with me. And I go back to snow, and usually Easter morning is snowy in Colorado, so you can just imagine. Romans chapter 8, if you'd please turn there. Romans chapter 8, we've been studying this all weekend long. But Romans chapter 8, as we continue it, is another passage that helps us to rejoice in the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. A triumph that did not just happen on one day when he came into Jerusalem as a king, but a triumph that extended to his victory over sin and death, his victory over the grave, but it it continues even to this day, where we have a day-by-day continual triumph because we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, and Romans 8 celebrates that. So Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 26, we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. Would you stand with me, please, with reverence for the Lord and His holy word? This is a reminder to us that the most important thing you're going to hear in the next few minutes is the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray. As we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and further is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed. All day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please be seated? It seems strange to come to Romans chapter 8 on a day like today. Today a day that we traditionally remember the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. The declaration, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For us to remember that that day of triumph was not just a moment. It wasn't just a prophesied event. The triumph that Jesus brought in that day is a triumph that led to the entire next week, which was a week of triumph, even though it seemed like a defeat leading to the suffering of the Lord Jesus. It, It ended in triumph, a conquering of all things. And what we're celebrating today is the triumph of Jesus that continues for us moment by moment. Toward that, I want to kind of set the tone and help you understand, Romans 8 is one of the more loved books of all of the New Testament. Any book or any chapter that begins with the words, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And then it ends with the words that says, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Well, that's got to be one of the most loved chapters in the whole Bible. And then you come and recognize that there's so many things that are spoken of in this chapter that we know and that we love. The fact that we have the adoption as sons by which the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And then he would later come and he'd tell us that the suffering of this present time isn't worthy to be compared with the glory that would be revealed in us. And then later he would tell us that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. This chapter is filled with exhortation and encouragement that Christians love. But under the surface of all of that, the reason that we love it is because this is a chapter that's describing the Holy Spirit and his ministry to us and his ministry in us. This is a chapter that's describing how that in our salvation we receive more than just forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven, but in our salvation we receive a newness of life that is the Spirit of God who indwells us. And that Spirit of God who indwells us gives us the hope that we've been finding in this passage. To understand the triumph of Jesus in sending the Holy Spirit, I think you have to hear and understand Jeremiah 31. I'd invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah in the 31st chapter. This is a prophecy concerning the New covenant. And it says this in Jeremiah 31 and verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, "Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember No more. Within this passage of Scripture, we have an anticipation of a new covenant. And of course, when Jesus met with his disciples, he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. The application of a new covenant through Jesus Christ brings us this Old Testament promise. that said, no longer are you going to struggle as far as trying to obey the rules and the regulations of the law. But instead, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. Within that new covenant, he promises several things. And I'm starting at the end and working back toward the beginning. But he said, no more will you have sins. And I'm not going to remember your iniquities. Any longer. One of the wonderful things that we have is that because of Jesus Christ, our sins have been removed as far as the East is from the West. Can anyone say amen to that? Amen. Having the forgiveness of sin through the Lord Jesus Christ is something that is a great blessing of salvation. And if that was all that I received, that would be enough. But that's not all that He gives us. Continuing on, he gives us intimacy with God. He said, everyone will know the Father. They're going to know God. No one's going to have to say, know him, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. And when he says that you will know him, he's describing an intimacy by which we can call God our creator We can call him Father. We can cry out and say, Abba, Father. It was Jesus who taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We can have the intimacy of knowing God as an intimate Father. We can know him that way. And in our salvation, we receive not only forgiveness of sins, but we receive intimacy with the Father. And frankly, if there was just those two things, that would be enough for me. If in my salvation I just received forgiveness of sin, that would be just more than enough. If I received a home in heaven, that would be enough. If I received an escape from hell, that would be great. But now I also have intimacy with God, by which I can know Him as Father. I can enter boldly into His presence in my time of need. He welcomes me into fellowship. That is wonderful but that's not even the greatest, richest part of our salvation. The richest part is when it describes how that in this new covenant, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to write the law on your heart, and I'm going to produce from the inside what could not happen by rules and regulations on the outside. I've been telling you that you should love God and love your neighbor, but now I'm going to make that possible because of a new spirit, a new life I'm going to give you. To see it even more clearly, I'd like you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. not far from where you are in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26 it gives in vivid terms this newness of life it says i will give you a new heart and i will put a new spirit within you i will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them this Promise is fulfilled in Jesus. The triumphant Savior is not just the one who came on the colt, the foal of a donkey. It's not just the one who they shout out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But because Jesus went to a cross and died for us as a substitute, because Jesus rose again and he ascended to his Father in heaven, he received a promise that he poured out to us. And that promise was the Holy Spirit that would not just be with us. The Holy Spirit that would not just come upon us, but now the Holy Spirit who would be in us. And we have the great joy of newness of life, the kind of newness of life Jesus said this You must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he said, If you must be born again, and then he turned to Nicodemus and said, Don't you understand what I'm describing? Nicodemus was all confused. He said, how can I enter in a second time into the, the, my mother's womb? Jesus explained it by saying, you are a teacher of Israel. You should know what it means to be born again. For years and years I scratched my head and wondered how in the world would Nicodemus know what it means to be born again. This seems to be such a strange saying for any of us. But Jesus is describing this new covenant. The new heart. The new spirit. He said this is exactly what he's going to do. And my friends, that is what Christ has done for us. He cleanses us from sin. He gives us a home in heaven. He removes our transgressions from us. He gives us intimacy with our Father. But even more than all of that, he gives us newness of life. So that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away and everything becomes new. If anyone is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And Romans chapter 8 is the celebration of the indwelling spirit and what he does for us. I'm just telling you right now that there's so much confusion about the Holy Spirit today. The charismatic friends, brothers that I have, dear friends in Africa or here in the United States, they think the Holy Spirit is all about the exercise of one gift or another or all about one experience. Flopping on the floor, bursting out in laughter, barking like a dog. They think that's what the Holy Spirit is and they've missed the whole point. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not about an experience that you would have. It's certainly not just about the exercise of a spiritual gift. The ministry of the Holy Spirit includes a ministry of adoption by which the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. The ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of transformation by which he says, you are no longer of the flesh. And I'm giving you a new nature. And because of that new nature, you are to set your mind on things above. He gives us a new mind, a new nature, a new heart. But he also gives us the spirit or the ministry of consolation. And here's what I mean by that. When Jesus said, I'm going to give you another spirit, and he's going to be a comforter. When he says that, I'm going to give you a comforter, he's coming and telling us that he will give us an abiding presence that allows us to trust in God with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. The passage of scripture before us today is describing the triumph of Jesus in giving us the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit who gives us a promise that said, in this world you're going to have troubles But I've overcome the world. And within a world filled with troubles, he says, We don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then later he says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Today, within verses 26, 27, and 28 of Romans 8, I want you to find two simple things of what the Spirit of God does in us and what He does on our behalf. He is the Holy Spirit who is our Comforter. And our comforter provides comfort for us in things we don't know. But he also gives us comfort in things we do know. The comfort in the things that we don't know is found in verse 25, 26. He says, We hope for what we do not see. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And then later he tells us we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. Now, within a context, he's talking about this prayer not just being, well, you don't know what you're supposed to pray for. You don't know if you should pray for the food or for the dessert. Should you pray for the appetizer? What part do we have to pray for? He's not saying that we don't know what to pray for in in that kind of sense. He's telling us we don't know what to pray for when we go through suffering and difficulty and hardship. Within the context, he comes and says, we're living in a world of suffering. And within that world of suffering, even creation itself is groaning and travailing, looking to be delivered. But he also tells us that suffering is something that we experience in a common way. You know that too many Christians nowadays view their suffering as being some sort of strange thing, by which if I go through suffering and hardship, well, God's abandoned me. I must be being disciplined. Something's not right. I must not have enough faith. But the Bible says suffering is something that we commonly experience. Even Jesus did not promise to remove suffering from us. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but I have overcome the world. Jesus comes and promises a presence and a comfort in spite of our suffering. And the fact is, is that some of you today are here wondering, what have I done wrong? Why is God against me? Why is my relationship at home so difficult? Why is it that I'm having disappointments in in, um In my work, why am I having these health crises that come up? Why is it that I'm suffering? And here's what you need to know. Jesus' triumph is not a triumph that delivers you from all hardship. He doesn't promise you luxury and ease, health and wealth. He doesn't promise you a life that is a bed of roses. Instead, he comes and says, in a world of suffering, where there's nothing but difficulty and triumph, and you don't even know how you should pray sometimes in your suffering, he said, I am coming to provide comfort for you. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to provide for you another comforter. For my suffering friends that are here today, here's what you need to know. That even when when we're weak, and even when we don't know what we should pray for, He, the Spirit, prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Let's talk about human weakness just for a moment, especially in our times of suffering. In our time of suffering, we go through questions and concerns, and we have doubts, and we wonder... But the weakness that we're talking about is a recognition that that weakness is part of our human condition. And God does not condemn us for these weaknesses. He doesn't come to you and say, oh, you have little faith. He doesn't bring some sort of condemnation and say, see, your weakness or your lack of faith is some sort of sin. Instead, he comes and he says, in our weaknesses, that is when the spirit is there to comfort us. Let me remind you some people who suffered in human weakness and did not know what they should pray for. For instance, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was probably the most devoted, committed follower of Christ that we would ever know, that the world would ever see. I mean, he's a man who traveled and went through shipwreck. He's a man who was beaten and persecuted, not only by Jews, but by Gentiles. Here's someone who suffered continually. And in all of his suffering and hardship, there was an even a time for this man that he experienced weakness. And his weakness was like this. I had a thorn in the flesh. He didn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh was. It was just an element of suffering. And he said, when I had that thorn in the flesh, three times I asked God, would you remove this thorn from me? But he answered me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in Weakness. The word weakness is not talking about some sort of sin or some sort of thing by which God forsakes him. Instead, within that weakness is a human element that says we suffer. And in our suffering, we don't know why. We don't understand what's taking place. We don't even know what we should ask for. But the Spirit comforts us when we don't know because he prays for us. He he is concerned for us. He wants God's will and God's best for us. And when you don't know, here's the comfort. God does know. He knows what we need before we even ask. He's not impressed by how many words you use or how eloquent your words are. He knows before we even ask. He knows how to pray for us. There's not only the Apostle Paul who was weak in a time of suffering, but there's also an Old Testament prophet named Elijah who was weak in his suffering. Now let me tell you something about Elijah. Elijah's not a sinful man. He's not a man who had no faith. Elijah had more courage than any prophet that I know in the scripture. What kind of man is willing to call out 450 false prophets and say, it's time for all 450 of you to show up on the top of Mount Carmel. We're going to have it out and figure out who is the one true God. One man against 450. That is a courageous dude. And as a courageous guy, he was willing to get all of them up there and confront them and show and demonstrate that Jehovah is the one true God and we should follow him. But as soon as he demonstrated some weakness, the human weakness, not a lack of faith, not something to be condemned, the fact that he was a man of like flesh like us. But as a man, he's someone who soon was being threatened and persecuted by a queen who said, I'm going to kill you. And the man ran for his life and having run for his life, the Bible says he hid under a broom tree and under that broom tree, he cried out to God in a prayer that he didn't know what he should ask for. He said, God, just take my life. Just kill me right here. And God didn't condemn him as being faithless. God didn't somehow throw him under the bus. Instead, God understood his weakness. And within his weakness, and when he didn't know what he should pray for, God came and comforted him in his time of need. How about the the man Job? The man Job was a man who also seemed to be, as God's testimony about him, a righteous man. Job was a righteous man who turned away from evil and followed God with all of his heart. And when he suffered, meaning that he lost his home, he lost his, all of his wealth, he lost his children, everything was taken from him. He didn't understand at all what was taking place. He had no insight into the cosmic struggle that was going on behind the scenes. Instead, he came to a prayer that says, what have I done to offend the watcher? What have I done to offend the watcher of men? What iniquity is there within me? He didn't know what to pray for. He had no understanding of what was taking place. But the Spirit comes in our time of weakness and He strengthens us. My brothers and sisters, today I want you to know that you don't have to have great faith to have the Spirit of God comfort you in times of need. Instead, the Spirit is the one who comes to you and helps you to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding. Pastor Van, I find tremendous comfort that I don't have to understand all the suffering that I endure or that my people endure. When I'm going to a hospital room and finding someone who's struggling with cancer or struggling with this disease or that, and they might ask what's taking place, I can be honest with them and say, look, I'm only a man. And in my weakness, I don't know and I don't understand. And as a matter of fact, my faith sometimes wavers. But this is what I can know. What I can know is that even when I don't know what to pray for, the Spirit prays for me with groanings that cannot be uttered. And within that, that means that I trust that when I don't know, He does know. When I don't have an understanding, He does understand. And this is the ministry of the Spirit who comforts me in that time. According to this passage of scripture we find not only comfort in what we don't know but we find comfort in what we do know. And I have a simple question for you, what do we know? Where well, everyone take a look at verse 28. We do know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, there have been plenty of times that someone would quote that with some sort of piety that seems to just come and poke an eye. It's like a stick in the eye if you're suffering sometimes and you hear that verse. But I want you to know by a ministry of the Holy Spirit that you find a tremendous comfort in your time of suffering when you can hear these words. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And within those five little steps, I want you to see five steps with me as to what we do know. Number one, we know that God is at work. You see, within this passage, he's not just talking about cosmic forces being at work. He's not just talking about the yin and the yang, the good and the bad. He's not talking about the good force and the bad force. He's telling us that in all things, God is at work. Did you know that God is always working? Jesus said, "My Father is always working, and that's why I work." Did you know that God is always working? It's not just that God did work back in creation when He got everything started, and now it's all started and running, and He just leaves it to the forces of nature and He steps back and lets everything happen. There's some of us who have that attitude that say, "Yeah, God got it all started, but you know what? He's disinterested. He's not really concerned about what cares, what happens to me." Wait a second. We can understand from the scripture that God is at work today, not just in creation, but God is at work in his creation to follow it up and to keep it active. God is working. The Bible tells us that he works, uh, that he works all things according to good to those who know, know him and love him. He also tells us this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you can you believe and trust the fact that God is at work in your circumstances? God is working through whatever it may be that's taking place. Disappointments, heartaches, difficulties, persecution. This is something that we all need to understand and care for. God is at work, even in the political mess that's going on around us right now. It's so easy to lose heart and despair and think, man, where in the world is there going to be any hope or deliverance? I would lose hope except that I know this. In all things, God is working. God is using his power to be at work. God is using his wisdom to be at work. God is accomplishing his will and purpose. He is at work. God is using his love. God is at work. And for us to somehow recognize that the one thing I can always know, I don't know what all the circumstances are. I don't even know what I should pray for. But I do know that God is at work. And if I know God is at work, here's according to this passage, God is at work for good. God works all things together for good. The word good there is talking about that which is most suited for my purpose. That means instead of the harm, he brings his intended purposes about it. Did you know that the Lord God is a sun and a shield? The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Did you know that God is good and wants what's best for your life? Or as Pastor Ev put it earlier, God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. good. And God is working good. And God intends His good purpose for me. Does that mean that everything that happens to me is good? No. But it does mean that even when bad things happen to me, I can know that God is working and that He will use even evil for good. I have to give you an example of this. The example is a man named Joseph in the Bible, a man who suffered greatly. And by the way, have you noticed that every single saint I'm referring to are saints who suffered? They went through hardships and difficulties and they were saints who were not perfect. They had weakness. But Joseph was a saint who suffered. Meaning that he had a vision that he was going to be the, he was going to be the leader of his whole family. He was going to sit over all of the sons of Israel. He's going to be exalted. And yet having that vision, having that anticipation, he didn't understand why his brothers hated him And wanted to sell him into slavery. He didn't understand why they wanted to kill him. He didn't understand why he was sold off into slavery in Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he got falsely accused by his employer, thrown into jail. He didn't understand why he was suffering, suffering, suffering all the way along. Until eventually, out of that prison in Egypt, God raised him up to be able to provide for his whole family in Egypt so they would have food. And when his family was reconciled to him years later, they came before him, they trembled before him, and they said, Hey, please don't kill us. He, please don't kill us for the things we did to you. And he said, Wait, am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To say that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good means that they still bear full responsibility for all of their actions. And they are going to face a just judge someday for what they had done to their brother. They're going to face that justice, but God is not defeated by that evil and harm. Instead, God takes evil and he turns it into good because all things work together for good. The first step you can know is that God is working. The second step that you know is that God is working for good. And that is a work of his spirit to convince you in this. I've got to pause just for a moment. I've got to tell you the first step of the the devil's temptation for any of us in any circumstance is to get us to question the goodness of God. The devil will come and say, wait a second. Did God did God really say you can't have all the trees, all the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He's gonna get you to start doubting the goodness of God. God knows that you eat of this and you're gonna know good. No, that's a question of the goodness of God. And today we can settle it and be sure by the testimony of Scripture, by the witness of the Spirit in us, that God is at work and that He is at work for good. Next thing is that we can know that He is at work in all things for good. If He's working all things, that is again coming to your circumstances of life, and He is working through sometimes unemployment. And I don't understand it, I don't know all of what the picture that is there, but I know that even in unemployment, God is good and that He's using it for good in life. God is using some sort of uh, financial trouble that you're having, God is definitely working even. Even when you have children that aren't walking with the Lord or they're rebelling or a relationship that's breaking your heart or I could just go on and on and talk about the suffering. But I'm telling you that even in suffering, God is at work for good. And this is not just some sort of optimistic pie in the sky thinking that just says, okay, just don't call the weeds weeds, just call them grass. I'm not talking about blind optimism here because I'm recognizing that God is at work in all things for good to those who love Him. Now, before you start thinking that those who love him are somehow a requirement by which, okay, well, if you love him, then he'll be good, and now you've met his demand. That's not it. Because we all know that we love him because... He first loved us. Our love isn't some sort of, our love isn't some sort of checklist that puts us on the good side. Our love is a response to his love and goodness and kindness. And it's a confidence that says, As I love him and know that he loves me, I also recognize that he's working all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Did you know that the purpose of God for you cannot be faltered? It can't be changed. It can't be defeated. God is going to accomplish his purpose for you. And that's why we can trust in him with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding. The passage of scripture is telling us that spirit filled Christians, spirit transformed Christians, spirit controlled believers are not people who have luxury and wealth, health and and ease. It's not people who have just a bed of roses before their life. That is not what the spirit filled life is. The Spirit-filled life is the Holy Spirit who comes to comfort us in our time of need. And when He comforts us from within in our time of need, He comforts us in both the things that we don't know, but He comforts us in the things that we do know. We don't even know how to pray sometimes. And I'm guessing some of you are in that boat where you're like, Man, I don't even know how to pray in a time like this. Well, guess what? God is sympathetic to your weakness. He does understand, and He's praying for you even in this time. You don't know, but God knows. And all you need to know is this. God is working all things together for good To those who love him And are called according to his purpose This is the comfort of the Holy Spirit This isn't just pie in the sky optimism This is his spirit Who consoles us and comforts us In our time of need This is the triumph of Holy of Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me, please, and pray? Lord, how we thank you that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We thank you that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. We are so grateful that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And Lord, as those who are in Christ, believers in Christ, we just want to thank you for the Spirit of God who indwells us. Thank you for the way that he assures us of our adoption. Thank you for the transformation and change that he produces from the inside out. And indeed, Lord, we do thank you for the consolation, the comfort that comes to us in our time of suffering and need. I don't know what my brothers and sisters are facing today. I don't know the heartache. I don't know the disappointment. I don't know the physical pain. I don't know the financial terror that they may be facing. But I do know that you are at work for good. I do know that you're trustworthy. And I do know, Lord, that even if we don't know what to pray, You are the one who intercedes on our behalf. Thank you, Spirit of God, for what you do in us and what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.